0: I am so glad you joined us here on the in Awe podcast and welcome to our final episode in the coaches series. We have heard from women in this series who have focused their passions and skills in the direction of serving others to become their personal best. The community has loved these episodes and I may be one of their biggest fans listening to them repeatedly all month. To finalize this series, I'm extremely excited that you're going to get to hear from one of my absolute favorite humans alive in this world and an exceptional leader in the arena of instructional coaching, specifically how to lead as a school principal with a coaching hat. She is the first person to appear on the In Awe podcast for a second time. She was my first ever guest in the show sharing her powerful resilience story. And if you have not heard that one yet, you absolutely must. I linked it in the show notes of this episode, or you can go back to the beginning. It is episode one. We have the same last name, but we're not related though. I can tell you, I count her as a true sister. If you've never met or interacted with her, you are going to find a new friend today. And if you have had that wonderful chance, enjoy the opportunity to learn from her. Once again, I am talking about the principal J, my friends. Jessica Johnson serves as the middle high principal in Dodgeland, Wisconsin, where she has completed her first year in that role after serving 11 years at the elementary school. When she isn't busy running a school, she serves professionals as a consultant and speaker on the side. Jess is a celebrated author of several books, including ASCD's The Coach Approach to School Leadership, and the one we co-wrote together with Jessica Cabine, Balance Like a Pirate Going Beyond Work-Life Balance to Ignite Passion and Thrive as an Educator. Jessica earned her bachelor's degree in education from Bemidji State University in Minnesota and her master's degree from Arizona. State University and serves as an adjunct professor for educational leadership at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Always the learner, she is pursuing her doctoral degree in education leadership from Edgewood College. When she is not out making the professional world a better place for kids, she devotes her passion to the three important men in her life, her two sons and her husband. In this episode, Jessica shares her journey that led her To not only develop her own vision for having a coaching mindset as a principal, but challenging systems to allow for that style of leadership, as well as creating space for leaders to adopt the mindset. She shares about her current experience leading schools through the pandemic, and we get to hear her wisdom around learning and leading friends. She is so busy, but giving me this time so I can share her with you is just one more example of Jessica's service hearted mentality. I am so thrilled that you will gain from her insights today, and I am deeply excited to share my friend with you all again on this podcast with much love. I bring to you Jessica Johnson's coaching story. Welcome Jessica Johnson to the in Awe podcast. I am so excited for this interview. Yay! Oh, I'm so excited too to be back on here with you. Your story is amazing and friends, if you have not checked out the first episode ever of the In Podcast with a guest. You have to. It's Jessica Johnson in our Resilience Series. But today, we get to hear all about your like super passionate professional side. You have so many of them. And we're going to focus, of course, on the Coaches Series. But I want the listeners to hear about your current context right now, um, because I'm laughing because we're recording this you know, in July coming up in the midway point between trying to close up one year and open up another and just kind of want to hear about Jessica Johnson and her life experience right now leading, you know, what's going on in your world?
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it's like you helped me with this analogy. I think in a previous conversation, it's like juggling the spinning plates that keep piling on there yet they're on fire and you're walking uphill barefoot on the shards of broken plates. Um, I would say that feels like my current context. Um, but in reality, so I am principal of a middle and a high school, two separate schools. Um, although in one building, we're a very small rural district that we're preschool through 12th grade, all in, in one building just a separate wing for each school. Um, the interesting part that I just love about my role is I had been the elementary principal for 11 years before I moved into this role. So while secondary is totally new to me um, and was even more interesting in to close out the year in pandemic, um, I had known most of our students and families coming into this role. So we literally just had graduation this past weekend, the end of July. Um, so I got to congratulate the the students who I have known since they were tiny little first graders. So it's it has been so stressful, but there are so many joys in there as well.
0: It's such a cool thing. First of all, the last time we interviewed you, were still an elementary principal, and now here you are, finishing out the end of the first year in a different level. And what a cool experience that you got to help your first graders all the way up through the system. That's just such a beautiful life little legacy that you left with them. I love it. I'm so lucky. Well, you know, they're lucky to have you and I know that for a fact. So that's exciting. And uh, I could I just thinking about this and I think there's so much grace in your message because we're going to talk about, you know, your professional c- credentials and experience and all that today. But the fact is you were 11 years in one district in a role, but now it's almost um, a grace-filled message that people can hear if they're finding themselves at the end of a really stressful year in a new role. So you ended the year so different <laughs> with this pandemic and school closing up. And you can be an experienced administrator who's coaching others, you know, other teachers and other professionals and you teach other professionals. But what was it like being, um, what was it like being in a new role in this year that nobody's ever experienced before, except they did it collectively?
1: <laughs> the thing is, is that we were all in this new World of how we're living, and we're all trying to figure it out. And I could I could not have done it without already having a PLN established. Of being able to go on Voxer and be like, "Oh my gosh, what are you doing?" And the beauty of it is that several people in my PLN were, you know, in states that were a week or two ahead of us. So being able to find out, like, here's what worked, here's what didn't work, to be able to, you know, help figure out what in the world we were going to do. I I have no words to describe. It's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, in the beginning I joked that it's like some really weird dystopian novel that we're living in. Um, and you know, it just, it just continues. Like in, in the beginning when they were saying that life is going to be different for the next 12 to 18 months, I really was ignoring that. Um, I was like putting my head in the sound <laughs> sand and now I'm like, gosh, they were right. Life is going to be different for 12 to 18 months. And what's really weird is that I'm reading, um, the Hunger Games with my my youngest. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking like, the Hunger Games seems more normal than life right now. <laughs> I mean, it's not, but it just, you know, it's just, it's so weird.
0: I, you know, appreciate that you touched on a couple of things. Leaders, if you're listening or anybody, actually, it doesn't matter what role you're serving. If you're trying to do life alone right now, it's got to be, it's just the worst. And I think whether you're a veteran or a novice leader in a sp- your setting, a school setting, there is so much that that's coming at you that you don't know and that you can't know, and you can't. And it's almost like right now when we're trying to figure out how to reopen schools, you can't win. There's so many different issues that we're facing um, trying to get people into the building safely, and here you are, you know, just kind of giving this grace-filled message. But it is it is so odd um, all of the new things that you're having to learn, but like kind of going back to that new learning, what I wanted to say is that you have a professional learning network that you can ask questions of. Thank goodness, right? Because as a high school administrator, it's different than an elementary. You're not thinking about, um, you know, backside work, like making sure the, um, the weighted grades align with <laughs> with your with your system and making sure that you have valedictorians and salutatorians and, and coursework and building a schedule and <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I barely knew transcripts and GPA before. And then, you know, we also modified our grading because of the situation we were in. And so how does that impact our students and how are we changing our transcripts? And, um, you know, just so many things that I didn't know anyways, and now how to do it pandemic version. And then, yes, creating a master schedule (laughs) which we had to put on hold because of the situation we were in and knowing some people were going to retire because they didn't want to come back to the unknown and just, it, you know, than getting to master schedule, but really it's probably not going to be the schedule because of our reopening plans. Like it's just, uh, it's just a hot mess. And you just, you have to be okay with being flexible. Um, and what, what can be so frustrating, but you, you just have to remember to be flexible and just laugh at the fact that you can spend an entire day planning And then get home and see the news and it completely changes all the work you just did. And you have to just be like, okay, well, let's go make version Z.2Z3 tomorrow because we've already made so many other plans. It's, you know, changing the changes of the changes of the changes of the changes of what you already changed.
0: And so, listeners, if you are finding yourself frustrated because you don't know, what a beautiful insight that you just gave. Um, and I know that you're working so hard, um, hours and hours, and 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 then to have it change not only based upon you know what mandates are in place, but also. Um, the different organizations that weigh in. So not only as a high school principal, are you figuring out reopening a schedule and all of that, but you also have athletics. And here in the state of Wisconsin, it's just, it continues to be shifting where we just recently learned that practice isn't starting now for the high risk sports until September. (laughs) Uh, And so always like figuring out how to shift your communication streams too has got to be an interesting experience.
1: Yes. Well, and what can be really frustrating is then sharing what your plan is and then news comes out like an hour later and then just fearing that people are probably thinking like, what What are you doing if this is what the news is? Like, well, we had a plan before the news. <laughs> it, it just, you know, and, and you can't win and there's going to be people upset with you because – I mean, as you know, I mean, the country has become so divided on politics and and masks and should we be in schools, should we not? Like, there are going to be people unhappy with you no matter what you do. Um, And that has always been the case for administrators, that there will always be people unhappy. And now it's even more so.
0: Right, and, and so I'm so grateful that you are sharing this message with us. We you know wanted to have you here again because of your expertise and your voice in the area of coaching. And, but I think having this little side conversation about the current context is so important because you can write a book and actually a wildly successful book <laughs> and then the sand can shift enough where things are just crazy, but there are still things that remain no matter what, right? Like there are footholds we can hang on to that are not going to, fall. And we know that there are things that we can do to help our people in the organization and those around us. And that's one of the things that I just love so much about you. First of all, that you live a life that is so wide open to being coached. And I just wanted the listeners to hear that because I doubt you'll ever say it about yourself. But that one of your superpowers is, of course, connecting people, but it's also asking questions you know, so many of us kind of move through life, like we don't want to look like we don't know anything, but it's such a gift that you have that you're willing to, you know, find your people, find the resources and get the knowledge that you need. And you're so coachable in that way to grow. And so I just want to make sure to, to speak your honor about that and to kind of tie the two messages of what's currently going on to this whole um, wonderful message that you have about coach approach, because being coachable allows you to coach better, I think. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So let's shift gears a little bit, my friend. I want the listeners to hear. (laughs) I want to talk about the book that you wrote, this awesome book. It's published by ASCD. You co-wrote it with Shira Liebowitz and Kathy Perrette. It's called The Coach Approached to school leadership, leading teachers to higher levels of effectiveness. I want them to hear about that because pretty much anytime I talk about you, we're talking about the balance message and, you know, we're traveling together and we're trying to help people survive and thrive and, and do all these things. But you have this whole other segment of your professional life that I think is so crucial for people to hear about. First of all, though, I know I'm talking a lot. I want the listeners to hear that when you and I first met up, do you remember? Of course, I know you remember when we first met face-to-face. I had come to the Quality Educator Convention in Wisconsin, in Madison. And there's a whole story behind that, which I won't bore people with, but it is a good one. (laughs) But I will never forget because I went to your session. And Jessica, you need to know that you had such a deep impact on me as a professional. I had seen Jessica write some short blurb for our um, state administration. And then she and I had been connected. And that's a beautiful story that's you know, archived in several places. But the truth is that it was your coach message that inspired me to just really want to be my best version as a principal. When you and I met face-to-face, I had gone to your session and you had all oh, so much great content about uh, the research from Hattie and all of the good information that I needed at that time to try to lead my people really, really well. And I had just completed my third year as a principal, first year in the district that I was in. We had a ton of controversy, but I sat in the session with you and I was just transformed. So I just wanted the listeners to hear that, Jessica, you have this great ability to coach others and to teach us. And so um, what do you think, first of all, what I want to hear from you is how did you start on the journey of kind of positioning yourself as a person who has knowledge in the area of coaching? Okay. First
1: of all, thank you. You just like made my day. I'm beaming right now. <laughs> thank you for what you shared.
0: Well, you're welcome because I know exactly where I sat, which was in the front row table, like kind of by myself, <laughs> just so I could be by you and take every note possible.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So first of all, to the listeners, I have to apologize. This is a little bit of a long story, but I feel like I have to tell the whole story of how it came to this place. Um, and it starts back to my um, teaching days that I never wanted to be a principal. like That crazy. Who would ever want to do that stupid job? Um, But and, And I will totally admit, I was going to get my master's so I could move up in the pay scale, completely being honest there. The only reason I picked the school leadership track is because teachers in my school were going in that program, and I could carpool with them. So totally, like, just, I'm in, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but, but that's the true story. At the same time as I was completing my program and I had to do my internship, um, one of my um, colleagues was leaving our school to start her own school to be a principal, and um, she invited me co- to come along and be her reading specialist, which I was so excited about and so looking forward to helping to support readers. And then um, early in the summer, she Said, I, I just lost my instructional coach. I need you to be my instructional coach. And I was like, I d- don't know what that is. Um, I can't do that. I, you know. I, like I'm still learning as a teacher. Um, she basically, we, we went back and forth and basically she said, I will get you the training you need to be an instructional coach. This is the job I have for you or I, I don't need you in my building. So I was like, well, I already resigned from my other job. So I guess this is what I'm doing. Went through training, was so excited um, and then worked as an instructional coach. And oh my gosh, I loved being an instructional coach, the uh, the impact that you can have on more students than just, you know, however many you have in your class of being able to work one-on-one with teachers, work with small groups of teachers, and then get to see the impact that that your work with those teachers has on the learners in their classroom was just, it it just filled me up so much to realize like, oh my gosh, I love my job. Love it. Um, It was also the time where I had to do my practicum. And in that position, I was able to do a lot of different things that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was a classroom teacher. Um, And so it honestly, it was that experience that made me realize I want to be a principal. Like I really like this. Um, And so So then I moved into an assistant principal position um, in a district in um, downtown Phoenix that um, was high poverty, um, high needs. I will tell you, this middle school was second in the nation for minors on probation. We had a full-time SRO and we had a full-time probation officer. Yeah,
0: what's an SRO for those that don't know?
1: (laughs) A full-time school resource officer and a full-time probation officer because we had that many middle school students on probation. So just to give you some context of the school, um, it was also in its fifth year of being deemed as failing by the state of Arizona. And in the fifth year, if you do not turn it around, the state comes in and takes over. So um, I I don't know why I was hired. Um, Actually, there's a long story about that. That's not for this podcast. But um, I... I mean, honestly, like why why me? Why did I get into this? Um started out with um a principal who was a poor leader. Um a couple months in the district brought in a turnaround principal who he he had many years of experience of going in and making significant changes to turnaround a school. And I learned so much from him. We had so many difficult conversations. We worked with teachers who I mean th- There wasn't learning happening because there were really poor practices in place um, and had been for a very long time. So there were some significant changes that had to happen. Um, There were, I mean, we had to terminate some teachers on the spot for like illegal things that were happening in school. Just, um, I have so many stories from this school. Um, But the biggest piece that I learned from him is to be able to have difficult conversations and, you know, do what is best for kids, even if it's difficult. And the previous leader had not done those things, which is why there were really poor things happening in that school. So it was a completely different experience than what I had had as a coach. Um, Then, you know, fast forward, I moved across the country where my husband and I wanted to get back to the Midwest. And I took on this principal job of this teeny tiny little rural school that was so opposite of where I was. And I was like, I am in heaven. I cannot believe it. Um, I love where I'm at. Um, however, early on I was like, oh my gosh, we have to change practices in this building. I can't believe this is happening. And, oh, I would never teach that way. And, you know, I started seeing things and I I started going in as a turnaround principal of like, you know, we we can't be doing things that we did 30 years ago. This, this has to change. And I started, um, operating with that mindset right away with teachers. Um, and they didn't really appreciate my feedback I was giving them, Sarah. I don't know why. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So I, I realized early on that, um, I moved across the country. I like just made so many financial, um, changes in my life to take on this role. And if these people don't like me, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I have to stay here. And that's when I realized the turnaround principle, his role was to come in and make some huge changes so that the next principal could take on over and, change the school for the long term. If I wanted to be here for the long term, I had to do something different. And because I didn't want to be a turnaround principal in here short term. So that's when I thought back to my coaching days of, well, I really loved that, that role. How can I be an instructional coach for my teachers, even though I still really have to be, you know, the one who supervises and evaluates and decides on hiring and decides on who's teaching what job? How can I, um, how can I balance both of those roles in the, the role of being a principal? Um, I was fortunate to get on Twitter um, towards the end of my first year as principal and somehow got connected with Kathy Perrette and Shira Lebowitz. It was totally by chance. I saw a tweet that Kathy sent out um, and wanted to talk about coaching. It was like the perfect time of my life where I was trying to figure this out. And we started the, the chat Coach, which is on Wednesday nights. Just, I mean, continued having these conversations that really helped me as a leader. And we would get into the discussion of, can a principal be a coach? And I'm going to be honest, I would have arguments with Jim Knight. Like, if you don't know who Jim Knight is, he is the guru of instructional coaching. And I would I would not get into it. But, you know, have this respectful... Um, disagreement about I think principals can be coaches like we can't truly be an instructional coach because we are the evaluator but I really think that we can be and it is what our teachers and our schools need for us to lead with a coach approach and so it was many years of of these kinds of conversations and somehow turned into a book even though we had never even met in person until after we wrote it so that is the really long story of the journey to a coach approach of being able to um even though you're the principal of the building to operate with a coach approach to be able to support your teachers.
0: Well, I love your story, and it should be just as long as it needed to be, and it's perfect because it weaves in this really beautiful <laughs> journey that you were on. That you were placed on. You said you don't know why you were there, but you know that I believe why you were there. <laughs> I think everything that we oh, yeah. that we do leads us to where we you know where we're supposed to be in our greatest good and service, and. You know, the fact that you had the instructional experience that you didn't even want to have and then couple that with kind of like this. I, I remember you at one point, I've listened to you share that story before and talking about walking around with a clipboard, you know, in oh, your yeah. Arizona job with like two ends of the extreme um, of of that and then finding a way to meld this. And here's why it's so powerful. I and mean, you're talking about like arguing with or, you know, disagreeing and, and bantering with with Jim Knight is so important. And I love it because you just assert yourself, you, you see things before others can, and you create the vision for what it could be. That's what you did with, with balance like a pirate. It's what you've done with so many different things. And it's a really beautiful gift that you give to leaders because I also had my own disagreement after I left your session, Jess, and this is before you wrote the coach approach to school leadership. It was, you were doing that session. And I actually saw you twice. I think I can't remember the other um, conference, but I was so inspired and I needed you because you're you're talking about this rural context where you can't just slash and burn, man. Like you've got to get people more effective, but you have to keep people in their roles. We don't have, you know, teachers oozing out of the the pipelines coming in to teach in our, in our schools. And so I was in a situation culturally that was really challenging and I just craved, I wanted so badly to help my teachers become better. And I'll never forget coming back and just having all of this you know, this pumping in my heart to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. This is how I'm going to, I mean, you gave us tips in terms of how to set our calendars and you had all these great productivity tips embedded in there. And you're talking about, uh, you know, creating um, notes and individual feedback pieces on uh, what is it, Evernote. And I, ha- I was so fired up. I had all these ideas and uh, my supervisor at the time said, no, no, <laughs> no, because principals oh. cannot lead as coaches. And, yeah. and so this is a very pervasive thought process that you have now pushed yourself into, pushed past and have been impacting leaders in big ways. I mean, this book, I read it cover to cover. It's great. You go around like what you were supposed to be in Thailand, <laughs> right? Like talking about the coach approach.
1: I know. Poor Thailand.
0: And then COVID came. Oh, COVID, but but you I just wanted to just affirm to you that that long journey deserves to be told because there's a lot of context
1: there for you to blaze that trail. I yeah, thank you. And and I have to add um you know I was in a in a space where I was able to um trailblaze that, I guess. Um because systems are set up for the evaluation process. And, you know, you know, you must fill out this form and it must be by this date and that's what you can use. And um, it is different in every state based on, you know, unions and and what kind of requirements there are there. Um, but I I tried to work with what requirements there were, but to do other things um, before those. Because where, where it is beneficial for teachers is that, you know, if I only come into your classroom on... For the one evaluation you have to have, if you bomb that lesson, do you really want that to be the lesson that's in your evaluation? You know, but when I'm in classrooms frequently and I, I know what's normal in that classroom and I can give praise to the things that are working really well and have coaching conversations with teachers to help them be reflective about what's working and what's not working. When, when I do finally fill out that form that has to be filled out, um, it's more reflective of, of their classroom. And honestly, when, um, when educator effectiveness came to Wisconsin, um, my teachers didn't really care about the forms that had to be filled out. Like they, they liked the dialogue that happened, you know, in in the informal um, observations that I had with them.
0: And that's such an important piece you know we didn't really get to the meat of the of you know what is the meat of the coach approach but you've touched upon so much of it what you know it stands for just basically uh knowing and being in the spaces with the teachers and being able to to coach them to better instead of um you know popping in and tossing out a quick evaluation on what you saw in that moment and i'm not saying that educator effectiveness did that in our state i believe i still believe this um for anybody listening, it's it's a system that was put in place for a teacher. It was more of a standardization, I guess, of evaluation. And I can say that I believe the the roots of it were strong and still remain such. Our rollout yeah. was rough. And I know it went differently in every district. <laughs> I got to, in my first district, pilot it and kind of, you know, carefully see all of the kinks and and we could have launched it. But in my second district, it was like full on the first year and it was a mess. <laughs> the technology was a mess. There was so much that was a mess. But what I wanted to point out is that I I don't think that every leader was transitioning into becoming a person of feedback and engagement. And, you know, so and as you know this very well, so many people don't get into the classrooms because they get stuck in the managerial aspects and in their office. And so, you Absolutely. know, yeah, your message is like, get out, be in the classrooms, know what's going on in the day to day. Uh, and so it's really important that we have. I I'm I think your message is more important than ever when we look at shifting our narrative and our understanding of what it means to effectively instruct, um, because it's learning. It's really about seeing what learning is happening.
1: Yeah, and the other point that I want to make is that it has to start with a strengths based approach. Um, you know, I shared with you when I when I came to my school and I went into classrooms and I was like, oh my gosh, that's not how I would teach. I can't believe you're doing it that way. You you cannot go into classrooms with that kind of mind. you have to go in looking for what is good. And it's, you know, we're we're set up for like deficit-based approach. I mean, if you think about it, we write IEPs for students based on what their deficits are. Um, we write improvement plans for teachers based on what they are not good at. Um, the system can be set up to easily think that we're looking for what's wrong, um, and no teacher is going to want feedback that way. Like it's soul crushing if you are just focusing on what's not working and what needs to be improved on. So making sure that you're going in and you're looking for the good and you're pointing that out to teachers and you're you know asking questions of you know tell me more about why. You you know, why you did this so that you can get them reflecting. And, you know, if I can back up to when you were saying, Sarah, of why, um, what you got out of my session, like for me, like, I don't always realize the things that I do and why I do them and, and why they're effective. But when the things that you shared, Sarah, it, it, it filled me up. It made me realize like, Oh, those are good things that I do. Um, so often we don't have time for reflection in our practice. Like we are go, 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 go. Um, and we don't have time to think about the things that we're doing. And so when you can have those conversations about what is working and the why it's going to reinforce those practices that they're doing and to get even better at doing them. And then as a leader, when I know all of the strengths of my teachers. I can use them to build other teachers up. Um, You know, instead of having a conversation with a a teacher who is struggling with classroom management, sure, I can tell that teacher, here are some things you can do, or I can cover her class and let her go watch a teacher who is awesome at classroom management and let her see it actually in action and get ideas from watching it happen.
0: That's so good. And that's just, just a huge golden nugget right there. And thank you for getting into the, that's what I was talking about with like getting into the meat of it, because there's a there would be a very big different approach for that if if we're just popping in and we're seeing only the bad things. A the, educating kids is very complex for anybody that's listening and, and doesn't understand that. Just can you trust Jessica and I? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean you don't have uh, there's no standard like check this box check that box for any given day mm-hmm. in any school across America or the world, because our product, if you wanted to look at it as a business model, some people do, they're they're ever-changing human complex beings. And so a lesson, you can have the best laid lesson plan set up and it can tank hard for any thousand reasons, right? Or you can have a pretty poor lesson started that can organically grow into something beautiful when you have teachers that have an intuition to follow that. So like, it's not always, it can't be cookie cutter. And I really appreciate the message that you give about that. And then just this idea, you know, how simple creating an opportunity for a teacher to go observe someone else, you know, that job embedded coaching is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, can you give just a couple, cause this is your content. You're the expert. You already talked about being in spaces often. So, and you also talked about going from a strengths-based approach, not a Pollyanna. We're not saying, Oh, we only talk about what's good. I mean, you're talking about giving this the hard feedback too, but you have to build trust to be able to do that and that creates, you know, that's, you got to establish relationships, but what else do you think are some of the fine points from the coach approach or from your experience that would benefit
1: a listener today? Well, yeah, I mean, it it has to start with relationships and just think about what effective teachers do. You know, students don't know how much, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You have to operate that same way as a building leader. You have to get to know your teachers. You have to have a relationship. You have to have those, you know, small conversations that build up to a strong rapport before you can get into the deeper conversations about what um, what is not working and, and how can we be more reflective and what, what can um, help our learners be more effective in this classroom. And it, that takes time. That takes time and that is so hard to hear because building leaders like they want their school to be the best that they can be and they want it to happen overnight and their superintendents want them to have it hope happen overnight but it doesn't happen overnight it takes time and when I say it takes time it sometimes takes years um, to be able to grow together as a staff um, and and I would add that you know as a leader you're not the expert. Like you might have expertise in a lot of areas, but if you operate as the expert, that's still not going to help your teachers grow because then they're going to be dependent on you telling them what to do. Um, You need to learn alongside with them Um, and especially what has been beautiful, beautiful about shifting into the secondary role. I have no experience as a secondary teacher, so I have no expertise. And I mean, come on, when I walk into a German classroom or I walk into the tech (laughs) headroom where I'm afraid I'm gonna lose a limb, I have no idea about their content at all. But there are so many other pieces that I can observe in their classroom that I don't have to know their content. I I know, you know, classroom management, I know teacher relationships, I know, um, you know, good pedagogy. I can observe a lot of things and be able to have a conversation with that teacher to help them know what their impact is. Um, and it's John Hattie who says, know thy impact. That, that is always in my mind, and it's sharing um, just objective, observational, you know, I noticed you did this, I noticed the students did this, tell me more, you know, ask some reflective questions about that to get them reflecting on their work. Why did they do that? What did or didn't work about it? What, what do you think you want to do differently with that? And you know when when you mentioned checklists, I didn't share that in my story. I used to have ridiculous checklists that I had to fill out, and it was in the carbon copy days of leaving them you know their their um copy of it. But no teacher grows from a checklist of boxes checked off or not checked off, and your best teachers it's like demoralizing for them because you're not in there long enough to to get to see all of the pieces have the boxes checked off, and it's not helpful for them, so I operate on just sharing narrative feedback. Um, while I would love every one of those to be a conversation in person, it's just not possible because if I'm in classrooms frequently, there's no time for those conversations. So it's often just um, an emailed um, narrative um narrative feedback and it, and it ends with a reflective question. And I let my teachers know up front, like I am going to be in classrooms often. Here's my goal. Here's what you will probably see in an email. I'm going to ask a reflective question. You can reply to it if you want. You don't have to. My goal is for you to be reflective. And the more, um, the more I have done that, it gets to the point where if I if I get busy and I don't send that email, I'll end up having a teacher like email me themselves. Like, oh, here's what happened. You know, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to do differently. And you get them in that habit of being reflective about their practice. Um, and another piece of it is the more you are in classrooms, when you get busy. There have been times where a teacher will be like, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, why haven't you come by? Or, you know, I really want you to come by during this. It just, it can really shift the culture and it's making sure that we're focusing on learning and not focusing on what I taught. Um, And it, it just, it really can shift getting teachers to being, thinking about what are we, what are kids learning? What's working? What's not working? And, and I, you know, they get to the point of asking for feedback in areas. They start craving feedback and it's very different from, you know, I'm only coming in once a year or once every three years and filling out this form and checking the boxes. And um, it's just a a huge difference.
0: Every time I listen to you and, and hearing this, it just makes me want to get back in there so desperately. Because, you know, the fact is that I was a teacher for eight years and, you know, I think a pretty good one, but I always think I could have been so much more effective because I love what you said about the checklist not being for any teacher wherever you're at in the continuum of whatever is deemed effective, right? Like that's not, that's not going to help. And so I also, you know, I'm married to a teacher who has had several different principles in his tenure, several. And it's just, it's not a condemnation on any single one of them. And I And I did not do my vision of who I wanted to be as a coaching principal, probably by any stretch of the imagination. And finally, by the end of my fourth year, definitely closer to that. Um, And I say six years I was in there, but fourth year with, you know, I had four years with one staff and there was so much complexity with the trust and the lack of trust. But by the end of it, it would, I could see how beautiful that had become and where it could have gone. And so I just really value the message that you gave there that it's about building a culture of reflection and not about assessment. And it does take time. And that's hard. That's hard for people that just say, and especially when you're going, well, we got to get, you know, the best instruction for students and it will happen, but it, it doesn't happen overnight. But it also doesn't happen unless you're stimulating those conversations for growth and change. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Jessica, we have to unfortunately kind of cut this interview off at some point here. Which we can't just talk forever? <laughs> I know. It's sad for me and sad for the listeners, right? Uh, but I just, you have so much good wisdom. And I hope that this interview maybe refreshed you too, because I know that you're going into, you know, a new year. I'm thinking about you and leaders that are trying to, um, you know, lead in this time of unknown, but knowing too that you're still going to have to be helping teachers learn how to blend and, you know, do blended learning models and kind of shift gears quickly if we have outbreaks and they're teaching online and you've already had to do that once. And, you know, we know that the landscape in front of us is full of questions. So, you know, you said that you can't be the expert. No, but you can be the expert at helping others learn and grow. And I think that's such a beautiful redeeming message from you. Is there anything that you would want to share in regard to that piece of it? Like, what does that look like in our new landscape of schools for this upcoming
1: year? I, I, again, it is, it is me learning so that I can help share with my teachers of what this might look like. You know, yes, I've spent my summers in so many meetings, but it's also, you know, signing up for this webinar series or these classes or reading this book to try to help learn the best I can to be able to share that with my teachers.
0: The consummate learner. And at some point trying to figure out how to live the going beyond balance message this summer. Yeah, I haven't lived that message very well. I'm not calling you out, girlfriend. You know, I'm your number one fan and, and you are doing such good work in this world. Okay. So I'm going to get to the two standard questions because I want to hear them from you. So if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what
1: would you say? Oh, I wonder what I said the first time I was on your podcast. I don't remember. Um, I think, so in thinking of the coach approach, when I first started as a principal, I thought that it was important to um, pay attention to people during the day and paperwork at night Um, and, you know, to be in, spend all my time in classrooms and having conversations with teachers and work about, work on all the other stuff at night, but that's like, that's a great idea, but you burn out that way. Um, so I would tell myself not to do that, to figure out how to be more productive and organized with my calendar and schedule in time for getting those things done so that I don't take home that giant bag at night and work until midnight and burn myself out.
0: Mm-hmm. Spoken like the true productivity junkie you've become over time. Right? Oh, I, I totally am a productivity junkie. <laughs> That's why you're my hero. Because um, I'm not. For listeners that are hearing you and they're finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it?
1: Oh, man. You know, on it, oh, hold on. I have to open up my my daily notebook. Um, I don't know where I saw this, but I wrote it down and I have it in my my daily notebook that I work out of. Um, I probably saw it on Facebook or Twitter or something, but I have been reading this every day during the pandemic before your head hits the pillow tonight, remind yourself of the things you did, right? Let go of the things you could have done better. Be patient with yourself and remember that big things are achieved, not all at once, but rather one day at a time. And I have been reading this to myself every single day (laughs) as we've gone through this pandemic. Um, because it, it is so hard to feel like, um, I'm not accomplishing anything, um, but I am. And I actually got emotional
0: listening to that because I know how hard you're working and I know how hard school leaders are pressing into so much of the discomfort and working your ever-loving butts off, which you already were before this. And so just being able to hear Mm -hmm. that message from you of this daily affirmation that you're needing to remind yourself that it is still good. Whatever you're doing is still good. It might not look like you want it to, but even just looking back at the spans of months that you've had and then projecting forward to a year, it's going to have an impact and it does. So thank you for your service, Jess. You're amazing. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so how how would you like if listeners want to get a hold of you? They may have questions about the coach approach? Of course, I will link that uh to in the show notes. you've got to get a copy of it, friends. That's the best and most efficient way to learn from Jess. She's already given you this this gift in this combined book with Shira and Kathy, but how would you like them to? Um, contact you
1: right now if they want to get in touch with you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Principal J. Um, My my website is principalj.net and you can get my email off of my website as well. And I'm also on Boxer, Boxer, Principal J as well.
0: Yeah, great place to get a hold of of Jess there. So I will link those in the show notes so that you can connect with my friend, Jessica. Thank you so much for taking the time to share all of this great wisdom and just for talking to me because I miss you.
1: (laughs) Oh, thanks, Sarah. I love your podcast. And I'm so appreciative that you invited me on again.
0: Perfect way to end this awesome series. You're amazing. Thank you so much, Jess. All right. Thank you, Sarah.